doctoral and PhD candidates. Thank you for joining us on Dissertation in 90 Days, a podcast created with you in mind. Our continued goal is to save you time, money, and stress. This podcast is made possible by your generous donations and sponsorships. Hey, I'm Dr. Anthony Robinson, and this is Dissertation in 90 Days, a show providing tips and strategies that will help greatly reduce the time you spend writing your dissertation. Man, I am so excited to have you join us today on another edition of this Game Changing Podcast. So many of you have told me how much this podcast has helped you, and I can't tell you how much that means. You are absolutely the reason why I do it. In the previous episode, I talked to you about chapter three, the methods chapter, and how it is often the most challenging chapter to get approved. Over the next several episodes, we are going to be looking at the various research designs that can be applied to examine a particular research topic. And today, qualitative is that design. For those of you who may not know, qualitative is a research design that is used for studies seeking to understand the whys of something. For example, if you want to know what the perceptions of a research group are, then you will be utilizing a qualitative approach. So in short, qualitative is not about numbers or statistics, but rather about understanding perceptions, experiences, and individual narratives concerning the research problem. So now that you understand what qualitative design is, Let's talk about how to analyze it. The deductive approach and inductive approach are the two major ways that you can interpret qualitative data. The use of a structure or planned framework to analyze data is what you would refer to as a deductive method. Essentially, this is where you impose your own structure or theories on the data and then analyze the interview transcripts using those structures. In investigations where researchers are already aware of likely participant answers, the deductive technique can be very useful. For example, if one study looked at as student impressions of what helped them stay in school, the interview may look into the popular causes for student persistence, such as tutoring, mentoring, and student involvement, just to name a few. After that, the data analysis would consist of looking through each interview to see how or if many students fit the established criteria and how much each factor helped them. While this method is quick and is simple, it is inflexible and might potentially skew the entire analytic process because the coding framework is predetermined. And that, you know, as you can imagine, can significantly limit theme and theory development. In the inductive approach, on the other hand, data are analyzed with little or no predetermined theory, structure, or framework, and the structure of analysis is derived from the data itself. Although this method is, you know, thorough and time-consuming, it is definitely most appropriate when little or no information regarding the study phenomenon is available. So the most popular method for analyzing qualitative data is inductive analysis. This is a strategy that we'll be concentrating on today. Uh, So 
Although there are a number of different techniques to analyzing qualitative data, the method of analysis that I'll be discussing today is known as theme content analysis, and it's likely the most frequent method of data analysis utilized in qualitative research. This is actually the method that I used in both of my dissertations. So when we come back, I am going to delve further into the method of thematic content analysis. The thematic content analysis method emerged from the grounded theory approach, but it may be applied to a variety of qualitative research methods, including ethnography and phenomenology. In one of the earlier podcasts, I discussed the various type of qualitative techniques. Indeed, thematic content analysis is typically very similar to other methods of qualitative research in that it entails evaluating transcripts, identifying themes within those data, and collecting examples of those topics from the text. Interview transcripts, field notes, and observations give a descriptive account of research, but it does not give explanations. As a researcher, it is your obligation to make sense of the data you've gathered by investigating and analyzing it. Quantitative and qualitative research, on the other hand, take different approaches to data analysis. Data analysis is usually done after all or most of the data has been collected in quantitative research. Data analysis and qualitative research, on the other hand, frequently begins at or shortly after the collection of the first data. However, this process continues and is modified throughout your entire study. Initial data analysis may also help to inform future data collecting. For example, interview dates may be somewhat altered in light of new discoveries that necessitate more clarification. When it comes to data analysis, there is also computer software that may be employed. Tools like CACDAS, or that's spelled C-A-Q-D-A-S, are software that can be used to maintain and assist and the analysis of qualitative data. Atlas.ti and Envivo are two of the most common applications we employ at Writers ER. However, it should be highlighted that such systems do not analyze the data for you. That is your job as the researcher. Instead, they organize the data and make it easier to handle. Computer programs can also aid in the management, sorting, an organization of huge volumes of qualitative data, as well as the storage, annotation, and retrieval of text, the location of words, phrases, and data segments, the preparation of diagrams, and the extraction of quotes. While computer tools can make the data analysis process easier, more flexible, accurate, and thorough, they cannot validate or refute the scientific worth or quality of qualitative research because they are only instruments as good or as bad as the researcher who uses them. So now let's take a look at the various stages of thematic content analysis. The technique of thematic content analysis is fundamentally the same whether data is evaluated by hand or using computer tools. 
in that it entails recognizing themes and categories that surface from the data. This entails finding themes in interview transcripts and attempting to verify, validate, and qualify them by reviewing the data and repeating the process to find other themes and categories. In order to do this, you should read each transcript once the interviews have been transcribed verbatim and write notes in the margins of words, thoughts, or short phrases that summarize what is being said in the text. This is what you would refer to as open coding. The goal, on the other hand, is to provide a summary statement or word for each thing mentioned in the transcript. The only time this does not apply is when the respondent has clearly veered off course and begun to deviate from the topic at hand. Such deviations can simply be uncoded as long as they are indeed deviations. Dross is the term used to describe quote unquote off topic stuff. That's D-R-O-S-S, dross. Additionally, as the researcher, you will gather all of the words and phrases from all of your interviews onto a separate page. After that, you can go over them and cross out any duplicates. This will result in a significant reduction in the number of categories you make. For example, a list of categories might read like the following for a study concerning children and diet and our food. Number one, foods image in the eyes of children. Number two, foods positive connotations and their effects. Number three, foods negative connotations and its ramifications. Four, influence of peers. Number five, foods that are good for you and those that are bad for you. Number six, sweets and chocolates have a variety of effects. This list could obviously go on and on, but I think you get the point. After compiling a second narrower list of categories, the researcher should take one step further and search for overlapping or related categories. These categories can further be refined and decreased in number by grouping them together based on the analytical and theoretical ideas established during the research. After that, a list of many categories, perhaps up to as many as 10, can be constructed. If we investigate the above case, we may eventually arrive at a much reduced list. In other words, you first want to know everything that stands out to you, and then you want to pare it down to things inside of all of the things standing out. This condensed list serves as the basis for the final category system, which may be used to categorize all of the interviews. The next step is to give each of the categories its own color marking pen or its own color on the on the screen. This is where you can go through each transcript, marking data that fits into each category with the appropriate color. And then finally, all of the data parts are cut out or pasted into an Excel or Word page where you can see them listed together. One page for each of the categories and thus is why you would assign it a different color. So think about what you have done here. You have in essence created a well-organized data set that is clearly divided, allowing you to make sense of your data. 
computer programs, as previously mentioned, can be used to handle this process, and they may be especially beneficial in qualitative investigations with huge data sets. Researchers who intend to utilize these types of software, however, should probably be trained and be aware that most programs do not follow standard Microsoft Windows norms. Uh, For example, most interview transcripts have to be converted from Microsoft Word into rich text format before they can be imported into the program for analysis. In the following segment, we will take a look at verification and how it influences the analysis process. Okay, so let's jump into the aspect of verification. So, of course, analyzing the study findings is part of qualitative data analysis. However, because social scientists believe that there is no definitive objective picture of social reality, this approach is perhaps more subjective than the method generally associated with quantitative data analysis. Some quantitative researchers, for example, argue that qualitative accounts cannot accurately capture the social reality. Therefore, various researchers may interpret the same data in different ways. As a result, the verifiability of qualitative data analysis becomes a concern. Because of this, there is a controversy about whether or not qualitative researchers should have their findings checked or validated by a third party. This method has been proposed as a way to improve the analysis's rigor and eliminate element bias. As such, there are two main ways to have data analysis validated by others. First, respondent validation, or you might know it as member checking. This is where you ask participants to validate analysis. And second, and second, peer review or peer debrief, which is where you have another qualitative researcher independently analyze the data. Participation validation involves returning to respondents and asking them to carefully read through their interview transcripts and our data analysis for them to validate or refute the researcher's interpretation of the data. Although this can arguably help to refine the theme and theory development, the process is hugely time-consuming and if it does not occur relatively soon after data collection and analysis, participants may have also changed their perceptions and views because of the temporal effects of potential changes in their situation, health, and perhaps even as a result of participation in the study itself. What does that mean? If you take this approach, it is always best to move through this process quickly and in a way that is efficient. Some respondents may also want to modify their opinions on representation of the data if they now feel that on reflection, their original comments are not socially desirable. There is also the problem of how to present such information to people who are likely to be non-academics. The process of peer review involves having at least one other suitably experienced researcher independently reviewing and exploring interview transcripts, data analysis, and emerging themes. It has been argued that this process may help to guard against the potential for 
long researcher bias and help to provide additional insights into theme and theory development. However, there are many out there who feel and believe the value of this approach is questionable since it is possible that each researcher may interpret the data or parts of it differently. Also, if both perspectives are grounded in and supported by the data, would one interpretation necessarily be stronger or more valid than the other? That's a question that we have to consider. Unfortunately, there is no definitive answer to the question of validity and qualitative analysis, despite there being endless debate. To ensure a systematic and rigorous analysis procedure, the entire process of obtained data must be extensively examined. For this reason, data should include the search for and identification of significant, deviant, or contrary cases, such as findings that are different or contradictory to the primary findings or are simply unique to some or even just one respondent as appropriate. When analyzing the data, qualitative researchers should use what is known as constant comparison technique. In the ongoing search for understanding and significance of the data, this simply entails reading and rereading data to look for and discover emerging trends. Researchers should also offer a clear explanation of how data was acquired and analyzed in published reports where appropriate, as this aids the reader in critically evaluating the study's usefulness. Given the nature, content, and size of the sample group, as well as the methodology's ultimate goal, qualitative data cannot be properly measured. Finally, we will examine how to go about write and present qualitative research. There are two primary techniques to writing and presenting qualitative study findings. The first is to simply report important findings under each main theme or category, illustrating those conclusions with suitable and verbatim quotes. This is followed by a distinct linked discussion chapter in which the findings are addressed in connection to previous research as in quantitative studies. And being honest with you, this is the approach I like best because direct quotes not only serve as page filler, but it also reduces the burden on you to have to use more words to describe your findings. As a side note, this is why it is vitally important that you have strong interview questions so that you can get people to talk and to elaborate on their thoughts about your topic. The second option is to do the same thing, but to also include the discussion in the findings chapter. For example, if this method were to be implemented, the findings chapter would be followed by a separate supporting discussion and conclusion part in which the findings would be critically reviewed and compared to relevant existing research. So if you report a finding or theme, you will simply follow that up by citing what the research says about it. And if the finding is supported or refuted by what you find, ultimately, thematic content analysis is a way of assessing qualitative data obtained by interviews or focus groups. And it has been explained in this work as a practical approach. With that said, there are other methods of analysis that do exist. You just have to either find the one that works best for you or even better, 
determine the method that is most preferred by your chair. The method presented here allows for the creation of categories that can be used to group together related things or categories. After analyzing the data, the study briefly displays two different ways of presenting qualitative reports. When done correctly, this analysis method is systematic and rigorous, which makes it labor intensive and time consuming. As a result, I personally recommend receiving advice from your chair on how they would like to see your data presented, because ultimately that's what matters most. So that's it for today. If you found this episode helpful, please be sure to give us a five star rating and pay it forward by sharing with someone, you know, I created this podcast to provide you tips, strategies, and even encouragement about a daunting process that if applied can greatly reduce your dissertation writing time. If you have any questions or feel like you just want to get it done, visit us at www.writerser.com. And you can also email me directly at info at writerser.com. I would love to support you on your journey. Thank you for listening today. I can't wait to hear about your success. So until next time, I'm Dr. Anthony Robinson, and I'll be back with the next episode on dissertation in 90 days.